All right, we are live. Hey, welcome everybody to the Security Squawk podcast where we talk about all things business and related to cybersecurity. I'm here with my co-host, Reginald Andre out of Miami, Florida. I'm Brian Horning. Uh, I'm in Philadelphia. Andre is the CEO of a company named Arc Solvers, and I'm the CEO of a company named Exact IT Solutions. We both basically run similar types of companies where we help businesses with the challenges around cybersecurity. And our hope is, is that we can educate uh, not only business owners, but everyone about the risks and how they can protect themselves in a world where cyber attacks are increasing every single day. Uh, so I want to welcome everyone to our program and start off today with just what's up, Andre? What's going on? How you feeling? Give everyone uh, an update of, of what's going on with you. Hey, Brian, and hello, everyone. I'm feeling great. Um, things are things are going good on my side. I actually had a, um, a prospect that um, probably been dealing with it for about three weeks now. And um, I honestly thought I wasn't going to get it because it was a, it was like a kind of a small deal, about six hundred dollars a month, and they didn't have a lot of computers. And um, they said yes. You sound surprised even right now. I am surprised because they went from having a zero IT budget, like they didn't they they hardly spent a lot of money, and going from zero to about six hundred dollars a month. I was I was myself surprised that they were going to do it so why were you surprised um i think for me because like you know i we usually we're we're dealing with bigger deals and and i think for me the confidence that i had was kind of like ah well you know i've done this before i i i you know provided the value that we offer to our clients and typically when it's when that small of a number and that small of an amount of employees and computers, they typically aren't ready for that. But but you know, it kind of shows the importance of why you should always, you know, don't skip your steps in your sales process. You should always um, provide the value, give the same energy, give the same attention as if it was the big, you know, fifteen thousand dollar month project. So so I think that was kind of like the big thing for me is like I kind of just continued and treated that customer as if they were one of my biggest customers. And I think they appreciated that, that I just didn't like just send a quote and let them say yes or no, but I actually showed them um, and was personal, personal with them. And I think they really appreciated that. Got it. Okay, cool. I mean, cause that's a, that's a big deal in my opinion. Um, I do think a lot of people struggle with, um, the belief, not only in themselves, but, you know, in their company and what they can accomplish and what they can do. Mm -hmm. Um, so is that, is that kind of what you, you were struggling with? It was more or less, you didn't believe that you, you, you could achieve what you could achieve or is it, was it something else? Yeah, it was more like, I didn't believe that from the beginning, I, I thought that they were just too small and they were going to say they were going to say no. That's what I, I thought. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it was more or less you didn't think that they would come to an agreement or come to see the value in what you were doing. And then you were more or less presently surprised. It wasn't, it wasn't more, it wasn't a lack of confidence in your company or your service level. It was more or less like, you know, I know in our business we will we will work with companies who are paying, you know, <clears throat> let's just take a ten-person company, right? And they're paying three hundred dollars or four hundred dollars a month for their IT support. Mm -hmm. You and I both know that that that's just not a feasible number for that size company, right? Um, and then you're meeting with them and you're and you're explaining to them that. You're going from 400, you know. Let's just throw out two thousand dollars as a number. I'm not saying that's what it is, but you're going sixteen hundred dollars more than what you're used to spending. And <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people in our business that I'm friends with have a tough time with that. Mm -hmm. They have a tough time 
believing that their services are 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 valued at that much, right? Right. But on the flip side, we also know that there's IT companies, MSPs out there that try or do charge those types of prices, yet they don't deliver mm-hmm. the same service that maybe you can. Right. So I think that's important to point out because I think we get pigeonholed a lot of times or a lot of people look at companies in our industry and say, well, they're just, you know, they're just an MSP. They're the same as everybody else. You know, they think the people, the way you do things inside of your business, how you've structured it, how you've built processes, how efficient you've become, um, you know, in delivering your services, all matters. And that, you know, isn't evident on the surface a lot of times, but that's really what allows companies like yours and mine to charge what we do. And it's something that I think that gets lost upon a lot of other people and business owners in our, in our industry specifically, because they don't have that belief that somebody will pay them that amount of money for what they do. Um, and, and again, part of it is because they don't full, they're not fully mature because they don't fully understand what the heck is it that they're supposed to be offering and how they're supposed to be working on and improving their company. So, you know, there's a big difference between my business eight years ago and my business today. And I'm sure the same thing is you you could say the same thing. Mm -hmm. I don't do the tech work, you know, much at all anymore, but, um, back in, you know, eight years ago, I was, the main guy that my clients called when they had a technical issue, right? So we've matured our company. We've, at, you know, we've grown, we've added employees, we've put processes in place and we've matured our company. So yeah, if you're a solo managed service provider or you're just an MSP who maybe is by themselves or has one or two employees, it is going to be difficult for you to see how somebody would pay, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars per employee to work with you. Um, but when you've worked on your company, you've built your company, you've put those things in place, that all requires time, money, and investment, and it costs money. And you can't charge, you know, a company that's 10 users a few hundred bucks a month and grow to a point where you're a company who can charge three or four, 500 uh, an employee, which is quite frankly, um, you know, if you're sitting here going, I would never pay 300 an employee for, for IT and cybersecurity services. You know, I hate to break it to you, but that's where the market's at. And if you're paying less than that, you're probably, you probably have more risk in your business than you think you have. And you're probably being, underserved meaning you think certain things are being done and they're really not and you're going to get punched in the face one day when something happens and then you turn to your it company and say i thought you were doing this for us and then you quickly found out that they're not doing that for you right right i mean i see that all day in our business and i you know i don't know if you have the same perspective but it's like a, it's almost like a vicious cycle. If you don't charge enough money, you can't mature your company. You're going to kind of stay in the same spot. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you don't have that extra runway to build your company. And as if you're in the business, if you're if you're not an IT company and you're listening to this, and you have a business and you work with or you're thinking about hiring an outsourced MSP, cybersecurity company, IT provider. And your thought process is, is that, you know, we're, we're going to pay a certain amount and we're not going to pay any more. Um, that's really not the way that you want to approach buying services from companies like, like us, because 
you're going to end up going with a company that's going to give you the lowest price. And, and in my experience, which is auditing MSPs, going in and running assessments against other MSPs, we know that MSPs traditionally are asleep at the wheel or they cut corners and don't do things that they promise in their marketing that they're going to do. So, you know, I think it's important for people to realize that, you know, there's a big difference between a mature company and a company that might charge what you perceive to be expensive versus a company that, you know, you feel is cheaper or in a lot more in line with what you want to pay because everybody wants to pay less, of course. But at the end of the day, if you get punched in the face, you better hope you're with a good IT company that can get you out of a really ugly situation. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but um, you know, belief in your your IT company that believes that they're the they're the best and they don't just talk about it, that you actually see their talk reflected in their work and the quality of their work. You're, you know, you can, you're, you can pretty much bet you're with a good IT company. Um, you know, if you don't get the sense that that company um, is backing up what they promised in their marketing and it's not reflective in their people and their culture, you might, you might have hired the wrong company. So, mm -hmm. so anything you want to add to that? No, no, we're good. All right, so. So yesterday, Andre, I, I did a YouTube video uh, on my own channel over at Exact IT Solutions where I talked about um, the fact that cyber attack attempts have gone up 20% in 2020. Mm, wow. um, I'm sure that doesn't surprise you, that number. Right, right. Um, but that's, you know, that's the reality, I guess, of, of where we're at with cybersecurity right now. Um, and uh, one second. And then the if you break down the numbers, the 20% increase from night from 2019 to 2020, and you look at the increase, that breaks down to 119,000 um, cyber attack attempts per minute in 2020. Wow. So in other words, what I'm saying is, is people are banging on your front door or checking your windows in your house to see if they can break in 119,000 times every single minute. And I can only imagine in 2021 that's going to increase because I don't really feel like we're in a spot where we're able to make that number go down. So uh, the reason I bring that up is because you and I were talking in the green room um, about the um, about something that happened out in Kentucky. And I'm going to bring it up on the screen here. Sure. Um, but it's something that we were talking about in Kentucky that happened uh, in the past uh, I don't know. It was probably. It was actually yesterday, <laughs> Wednesday. Yesterday, February twenty yeah. fifth. It was yeah. It was posted today, and it happened yesterday. So I'm going to share the screen, and I'm going to kind of bring this up here. Um, and why don't you kind of give our audience the the high level details of what is going on here uh, in Kentucky and why it relates to what I just mentioned about the one hundred ninety two thousand. Uh, hack attempts every minute. Yeah, sure. So essentially, uh, Kentucky's unemployment office, they um, had a attempted cyber attack. So when we say attempted, it's because the essentially the hackers, what they did is um, what we call a dictionary attack. Mm -hmm. And just like a dictionary, you could have, you know, the word and definition. Well, in this case, you have a username and you have a password. And what they tr attempted to do is to take this list, this dictionary that they have, and just slam the Kentucky's unemployment site with all of these different username and passwords because they know the statistics shows that I believe it's around 80-something percent, 82 percent 
of people reuse their passwords. Right. So they have usernames or email addresses, they have the passwords, and their hopes was that they would then be able to get into this unemployment site. And of course, with unemployment, we're talking about payments, right? So more than likely, once they got in, they would probably want to ch change the banking information to, you know, to a different bank, etc. So that's ex essentially what um, it didn't happen. But uh, this is essentially what the article is talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me because you rarely hear about something like this. You usually hear about a successful hack attempt. And this is more or less like they try they tried and we were aware of it, but they didn't get in, which is, you know, a good a good sign. Mm -hmm. Um I you know, you as a cybersecurity professional, you would like to see more of these types of stories than, hey, somebody got hacked. Um again, this is still falls in line with a reportable breach, right? Because somebody tried to get into their system. So at the end of the day, um, you have to kind of report this. Um, but it, you know, why I mentioned that is because a lot of companies don't. <laughs> if you're, you're in a business where there's compliance and you have in your, and you're required either in your industry or by your state, um, to disclose when, when things like this happen, you know, a lot. Of, I, I just don't know of a lot of companies that are out there basically saying like we detected these hacking attempts and they were unsuccessful, and you know we're we're just reporting it as we're supposed to do. Um, that that to me just doesn't happen. Um, so I don't know if you're aware of any similar stories like this, but um, you know I'm glad to hear that nobody got in, and this is an example of how this goes down because how many passwords need to be right in order for them to get in right one mm -hmm. you know what i mean they're just one one password needs to match a username that they have um and you know and but this happens every single day you know probably millions of times a day hackers are running these tools that use a dictionary database to then try to crack passwords and get in the networks. Um, the good thing here, in my opinion, from a cybersecurity uh, analyst standpoint is that they had the infrastructure and technology in place to detect this. Yeah, A lot of companies don't. And if you have no idea how to tell if your systems are being, you know, somebody's jiggling your front door you want to know about that, you know, mm -hmm. and trying to get in. If you don't have the technologies in place, you might want to call a, a cybersecurity company or work with a cybersecurity expert to get that in place. Because, you know, five years ago, that wasn't so easy. Today, it's very easy to get things in place where they look at and monitor who's logging into what and if they're successful or not. And you should be alerted if there are a massive amount of invalid attempts on a system. Yeah. So, so good one. Um, so this leads into um, the opposite. What we're going to talk about next is when you don't have, you know, good password hygiene and people are able to use dictionary attacks and information on the dark web to then get access to systems that they shouldn't have. And, uh, and uh, that happened over here. Let me just jump out of full screen real quick if I can. While you're doing that, um, kind of a little joke is for every one article that you see that someone is actually saying, hey, there was a cyber attempt, I would say there's probably 200 IT guys having beer because they didn't they didn't get attacked. Like just to show you like, you know, so every night you probably have like 200 guys having beer somewhere, being like, man, we're so glad this didn't happen or whatever for every that one article. I mean, yeah, that's one way to look at it. Or you could look at it as for every cyber attack you see in the news, there's a whole slew of cybersecurity professionals that are stressing out because this is true. <laughs> they're working on a breach that is not in the news. Yes, exactly. exactly. So, 
you know, that's the important thing I think people really need to understand is that what we cover and what's public is only about 10% of the actual attacks that actually happen. So there's a massive amount of cybersecurity professionals and IT professionals who are, you know, dealing with this and, and, you know, you might be, you might be the person in charge when the attack went down and your stress level is going to be high. Um, you know, and when, when teams come in to do, uh, you know, a, an evaluation on what happened, that's stressful um, because you have to take systems down. You have to take things offline to really evaluate them. And uh, companies don't want to be taken offline. You know, mm -hmm. that struggle between cybersecurity and making sure that business continues to to, to move forward. Um, and, and that's, you know, I think where, where the business people and the people that need to keep the business running and make money and the, and the security people are, are button heads a lot because, you know, when there's an event, sometimes you have to hit pause on things. And that doesn't sit well with a lot of guys who are in charge of making sure that the money's still coming in the door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so what happened here in New York State, um, as I mentioned and alluded to, it's a, a, the opposite of what we just talked about in Kentucky. Yeah, sure. So essentially, New York State audited three school districts um, and just to do like a cyber cyber assessment. And what they found is that they had um, many of the school districts having accounts that they never closed. So, uh, for example, they did an audit between 2018 and 2020, and they identified um, 224 accounts belonging to the senior class who had already graduated that should have been disabled or deleted. And, yeah. And in addition to that, they found another 63 unneeded network user accounts and these are like network admin accounts that right. were not used for the last six months and should have been also deleted or disabled so that's just an example of the complete opposite right somebody was able to use information that was already out there on the dark web or someplace and then breach these accounts and or if you're not disabling them and you're not monitoring whether somebody's trying to log into them you know, you could run a big dictionary across those accounts to try to get into them. Mm -hmm. Plus, if you're in an organization like like that, you know that you ha probably have a lot of different accounts at your disposal. If you can figure out that that practice is happening, you know, you're not disabling X accounts of, of people that are no longer part of the organization. Um, and quite frankly, that's that's a big thing with colleges. Um, you know, and I think we've mentioned this before, but colleges, uh, a lot of times, colleges are a favorite target for spammers to try to get hold of hold of accounts because a lot of times colleges, as a quote unquote benefit, give their alumni a perpetual email account .edu for that from the school, and a lot of times people when they leave. The, the university or college, they don't ever log back into that email account ever again, and they never think about it. But they're still active. They're still able to be used. Quite frankly, a .edu address is a very reputable source. So if you can get control of it, you have a very good chance of getting your spam through spam filters and everything else, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so these kind of dormant accounts that lay out there are favorites of hackers. And Every organization needs to have a process in place for evaluating accounts that are that are active and making sure you're either disabling or getting rid of them on a regular basis. Um, we've audited companies where they've had uh, employees with active accounts for you know eight, ten plus years. <laughs> it was the last time they logged into the into the system. Yeah, um, you know I. I had one guy who told me that told me, you know, when we run these tools, it's not like these tools come back with like bad information, right? If you have an, an account in your system that hasn't been logged into in eight years, and my system, when I run a scan, it tells me that, 
that's not like made up fabricated information, but I'll have people challenge me on, on this stuff. Like they'll be like, there's no way, you know, um, usually it's the person in charge of making sure that that stuff's not happening. But, um, we audited, we audited a, uh, a, uh, a company in the real estate space, uh, once. And I actually knew, I actually knew personally knew the employee that we told them this account is active and I know this person and he hasn't worked for your company in, it was like seven or eight years. And he's actually, he's moved on three companies since he worked for this company. Wow. And like, I knew the guy and it's, and, and, and even then it was, they were just like, no way. We don't have that many um, accounts that, you know, are out there. And I'm like, it, it was, I'm going to say this. It was it was over a hundred user accounts that were on the system that we found that were dormant and nobody was logging into them. Wow. Yeah. So Kroger, um, talk to us about this one. This is another supply chain type of attack, which is kind of like it's kind of like the attack du jour right now. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of supply chain attacks are are being revealed and are being successfully uh, deployed. Um, so talk to us about this supply chain attack at Kroger, what happened, uh, shoot. Yeah, so Kroger has um, a legacy system. So legacy system is essentially uh, an application, a program that you're using, but um, maybe you're just keeping it around because you're in the process of upgrading it or you just needed archive. So like think of if you have QuickBooks, if you and maybe you have you moved everything to the cloud, but maybe you still have your company files and once in a while you need to go in and take a look at it. Well, in this sense, because it's a legacy application, that application no longer is getting updates. And because it doesn't get updates, if there's a vulnerability that's found later on, no one's updating it and now your entire system is um is affected so that's essentially what happened with kroger where one of their legacy systems um got affected essentially and then the bad guys were able to um get into the system that way so yeah i mean it's it's another example of companies that you know buy a third-party piece of software or use a third-party service and and, and then they have an incident because of a vulnerability or something in that software. Now, the interesting thing is, is that if you do cybersecurity the right way, and that's my opinion, obviously, what the right way is, but you're running scans for vulnerabilities, um, you know, constantly, and you should know when you have vulnerabilities on your network. So not only is it a failure of Kroger to kind of make sure that they have the proper service plans in place and they're not using outdated or legacy software in their environment. Um, that's a big one. You know, if any if anybody's using software that doesn't receive updates anymore, you you got you, you might as well you you got a pretty sure bet that your software is going to have an, a vulnerability at some point and is going to be able to be used as an attack vector for a a hacker. So, you know, it's important to make sure that, you know, <clears throat> you may think in your mind, I'm not gonna pay this company, you know, a thousand dollars a year just to get updates or just to get support, but that is what that is meant for. It is meant for you to pay that amount so they can invest in making sure that the software remains secure and doesn't cause a problem in your business. If you choose to opt out of that, then, then that's that risk then falls to you. Um, but in this case, with you know with a legacy system, and then the fact that it was on their network, and from a software and network vulnerability scanning standpoint, there you know either they knew that this vulnerability existed and cho chose to do nothing about it, or they weren't looking for it. And they didn't care. So it was a case of what I kind of talk about all the time is either you're burying your head in the sand or you're or you're just deciding not to take care of it. You know, and that's the way I look at it. I don't know if you have a different opinion, but that's kind of how I look at it. 
Yeah, and but I mean, customers, you know, if we put our shoes, put our feet in customers' shoes, a lot of times they're just like, like I've had this, I have a manufacturing firm and they have a legacy system that prints a, a special label mm -hmm. and just never got around to it or cared um, for upgrading this system to a new system. And it's a computer in the back. And the only reason I kind of allow it is because it's not connected to an Ethernet port. So it, it's kind of, you know, separate from the entire network. When they want to print, they have to then take a, a special like SD card type of thing and then let the, the let the job go. But when, once you have a legacy system connected to your network, you're asking, you're just like what you just said, you're asking for trouble. It's only a matter of time. So, but, you know, as we, as we like to point out, here's our favorite statement. Yeah. You know, the day after the attack. And then it's followed up with um, they initiated their own forensic investigation to review potential scope and impact of the incident. Right. So you can't say this, just a word of caution to companies if you're ever breached. You can't say this right here until this is done. So talk about putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. Don't make these kind of statements until your forensic investigation and review is done and you know the scope and impact of the incident. Because Andre and I talk about this all the time on this channel. And it's quite simply that people, these companies come out way, way, way too soon with the statement that they have no credit card or debit card or personal information out there. And then, you know, a month or two later on the dark web, you know, here's mm -hmm. all this information. It's like, oh, this looks like it's all Kroger customers. Um, so, all right, man, we're going to wrap up here today. All um, right. We're about a half hour into our podcast, so we're right on time. I don't know much about this, so I'm going to take a step back and let you talk. I I am not keeping up with this particular uh, series of events. Quite frankly, I don't care what they have to say. <laughs> I've covered this enough where I, I, I know what's going on. Um, but why don't you give us kind of like high level what happened yesterday, Why who was brought in, why were they brought in and what did they talk about? Yeah, sure. So you had, uh, this is regarding the SolarWinds event, the big event that in nine federal agencies and 18,000 um, companies in, in the U.S. got affected with this. And essentially, who was there? You had Microsoft that was there, SolarWinds, of course, FireEye, and a company called CrowdStrike, which is um, providing um, remediation services to SolarWinds. Um, so that's who was there and who wasn't there was Amazon. And that was even a big issue because um, Amazon, um, the web service, that's the, the way the attack happened was from a US server. And essentially it was on an Amazon server. So it was very surprising that Amazon sent no representatives. Uh, Microsoft sent their president. The other two companies sent well, their- I, I understand why Amazon, quite frankly, didn't send a representative because Amazon's in the business of providing web hosting. Mm -hmm. So if somebody decides to use one of their servers in the US as a as a as a drop as a as a markoff point or as a VPN that that's kind of why Amazon exists. I mean that's mm -hmm. not out of the terms of of service to use an Amazon server as a VPN. It's not out of the 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 terms of service for Amazon for you to spin up a server and use it to do various things. I mean, you know, I it's it's very common, and I I don't think that you know whether they used Amazon, Google, you know, all these servers exist, and we can go rent them today. Right, we I can I could end this podcast and I could go spin up an Amazon server in about ten minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean I don't see other than the fact that their infrastructure was used, I don't see why they would need to be called in because you can't say to Amazon you can't rent to uh, what are you going to say you can't rent services to X Y and Z if you come um, if you if you if you're 
if it, if it is who they say they are and Russian, it's Russian state sponsored, you don't think Russians have entities set up here in the US with credit cards and, and bank accounts and stuff that they can easily use to buy these servers. So to Amazon, it looks like they've rented the server to a US citizen or somebody who's in the US mm -hmm. as a credit card. You can't buy an Amazon server without a credit card. Right. You got a credit card on file. Right. So, it, you know, you're, I feel like it's splitting hairs a little bit, but Amazon, you know, I don't feel like they need to be there because their network and they were not breached. It yeah. was, just, you know, they were the lily pads that these attackers use to kind of make themselves be able to get into things or not, or not tip anybody off to anything, uh, not be geo-blocked because look, I mean, you know, most, most cybersecurity people geo-block, you know, mm -hmm. countries that they're not doing business in. Um, and that's how you get around it. You buy a server in the United States and you use that server as your jumping off point. So continue on. Yeah, and, and just to piggyback on what you're saying with Amazon, and I could see Amazon saying, wait, this is just going to be a soundbite that the senators and politicians want to use to then make us look bad. So why even show up? But at the same, and I'm sure the FBI and other you know agencies have already went to Amazon and says, hey, we need the credit card number. We need the IP address that they registered from. Oh, so like, yeah. Turn all that over. Yeah, so if there's nothing the senators on Capitol Hill like that. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, but it was just going to be a for soundbite. And yep. also because everybody is pointing fingers at everybody. CrowdStrike is pointing fingers at Microsoft saying your infrastructure was the way you design it and your architect is, is bad. Your Windows is, is complicated. And then Microsoft is blaming, um, uh, it was blaming SolarWinds because they said that their stuff was designed wrong. So of course, Amazon would have probably been sitting there and says, well, Amazon, it's your fault. How did you not know it was a Russian corporation? Like, you know, so everybody was pointing fingers. It was three hours of, <laughs> if you ever been in these, one, uh, watch any of these things, it was three hours. And at the end of the day, what was, what I, the, the biggest takeaway I saw was then even the corporations pointing the fingers back at the politicians and saying, you guys need to put a regulation in place. You guys need to put something where if a company is hacked, there's a procedure that they have to follow. There's like a federal police report type of thing that they have to submit to, to you so that we can do information sharing so that we can know what's going on. Who's and saying that? The corporations, Microsoft, SolarWinds, Cyber, they were all basically pointing the finger back at the, the government saying um, more is needed. More is needed. As far as, laws, as far as laws to to um, uh, when it comes to disclosing, and they also mention when it comes to protecting, because they're saying that if a company got hacked, they're afraid of the ramifications from the end user, from the government, from you know, and obviously the news and media and things like that. So they actually said one of the things that should be done is kind of like a I don't like kind of like a whistleblower thing where hey if we tell you we got hacked you federal government protect us from the attorneys coming to sue us so essentially saying hey if we're sloppy in our work and there's a cyber attack we want protection so that we're not sued if we come out and tell you we were sloppy no. which I found very interesting well I mean, I, I just look at it this way. These companies need to make, take a hard, need to take a hard look at their own cybersecurity practices. And if they are following the NIST cybersecurity framework uh, to the highest level, which these companies should, if you're a Fortune 500 company, you should be following at least 171 controls within the NIST 800, you know? So are they, you know, are they saying if we're following this, we want protection? Because it's one thing to, 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 to say that and say like, hey, if we're doing everything we possibly can, we want protection. But if you're saying like, hey, we're just going to continue to operate. We're not going to follow any any framework, and we're not going to be, you know, 
held accountable to that framework and we just want protection because we're you know we're too big to fail type of scenario that's what i hear it's what i kind of keep thinking when you when you were talking it's like this sounds like these big companies are saying like we're too big to be dealing with this right you know and we don't want to deal with it um so but but Brian, that's the question though. But are you are you telling me that Microsoft, SolarWinds, um, FireEye, they don't have NIST engineers? They don't have full time departments that are actually going through that list to make sure they're they're in compliance? Like they they have to be, right? I don't know. I don't work at those companies. All I know is they got hacked. They didn't know they were under attack. And I guarantee you if they actually had a full audit done, there would be gaps found. I'm not saying they're not doing it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying there's a human element involved here. And when you're talking about massive amounts of companies, you have the same challenge going on that you have in every single business that's faced with this problem, which is every business right now, which is you only have, you have finite resources, money, people, time, you have to make sacrifices, right? So we're never going to live in an environment where we're 100% secure from anything. But if you're, I guess my point is, is you're going to, if you're going to ask for that level of, um, that level of, it's almost like a get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. You're going to ask for that level of of clemency from the government and 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 the and the private space, you know, the media, your customers. If you're going to ask for that, you need to prove that you're doing it. So when do we have a government? When do we have? There there are government or or private. Uh, industry. You can do it in both ways. I don't know what the the best solution is right now, but there are uh, private entities that will certify things that adhere to a certain standard. And then you can have the government take on that. And the government is kind of doing that with CMMC. Um, Does CMMC bleed over into every business now? that we look at cybersecurity as a homeland security issue. And now we need to have private businesses adhere to the same NIST 800 standards that, you know, we're making government contractors, you know, follow. Mm -hmm. And then have assessors and people who audit businesses. And then you have, you know, like that seal of approval on your business that you do things the right way. And then that's how you how you get the protection of, you know, whatever they're asking for, you know, but you can't just give out protection to a company and not evaluate how they're doing cybersecurity. Yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. Like they if they want that level if any business wants that level of protection, get audited. Have somebody review your business, your business practices, and against against the controls that are out there, and and you get audited. And and, and once you get audited, you you have you're then allowed to, you know, display a certain badge or or, or letter that says that you've been audited and you follow and adhere to a strict cybersecurity framework. You see, but okay, let's let's. But then, what about the the medical field with HIPAA? I don't so, know, if, but how many assessments have you done at medical offices? And you go in and you're like, oh my gosh, like, and and these doctors just don't care. And yeah. but at the same time, there's nobody, there's nobody really not. There's no teeth in it. If, if that's a good, you know, way of there is teeth. There is actually teeth in. There's actually teeth in HIPAA, and it's and it and it's becoming. It's a. I think it was a fallacy, like when HIPAA first came out, and then a couple of years in, these doctors were like, "Oh, HIPAA is no big deal. I don't have to worry about it." Mm-hmm. Go. There was. A, there was. Twenty twenty was the, the highest year for five yeah. HIPAA violations. 
they're they're only going to get better at this. They're going to have more auditors. I mean, this is new. Mm-hmm. It's not like the IRS that's been around forever and ever and ever that had that they know what they're doing. They know how mm-hmm. to audit companies and and individuals, and they know what they're looking for. That's going to happen with this, and they are going to figure out systems, and they're going to put enough resources in place where they can do these these audits and there's going to be more HIPAA violations. And plus, once, once you know, the government figures out that they can make money off the of HIPAA audits, <laughs> look out. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, the hope is, is that you give enough, people enough warning and enough time to put this in place. There's going to become a point in time where, you, where, where doctors are going to hate HIPAA because everybody's getting hit left and right. And then you also have the Medicare and Medicaid issue. Mm-hmm. You don't do HIPAA right, you can't bill Medicare and Medicaid anymore, and you're screwed. Yeah, and that's a big deal for for a lot of doctors and a lot of medical practices. You get put on the Medicare blacklist. <laughs> you're basically you're basically accepting cash at your at your mm-hmm. at your uh, doctor's office. So you know, that's where I think things are going when you're asking for things like this. Um, It's disheartening to me to hear that they were pointing fingers at one another because we all have to work together. You know, the supply chain attacks are the writing on the wall that, that everybody needs to work together to make things more secure. And I don't blame the hackers the hackers are the ones who bring to light the problems. It's on the companies to make sure that they're doing this stuff the right way. And and unfortunately, that means you're going to have to spend more money. And, and people hate to hear that. Mm-hmm. But this has come on so quickly that businesses are completely unprepared for what they're going to have to pay for this. Um, so, you know, the best thing you can do is start preparing today. Yeah. Because every day that you don't prepare, you're building that technology debt like I talk about. Mm-hmm. Every day you kick it down the road, just like the US debt clock, that tech that technology debt clock is moving higher on your business. Every day you don't address it. Every day you bury your head in the sand as a CEO and you don't spend you know, six to 10 or more percent of your total revenue on your cybersecurity and on your IT. If you're not meeting those kind of benchmarks and that's a rough number, you're probably going to be punched in the mouth one day by a cyber attack. And that's just the reality. Yeah. So so that's it for me, brother. We're 47 minutes in. Do you have anything else that you want to discuss with our audience today. I'm going to stop sharing my screen. Um, one cool feature uh, that I finally Microsoft did was that they enabled two-form factor authentication anytime you set up a new email account where before it was um, not mandatory. So right. that they forced it. So that, that was a cool thing that I saw. In, and at least Microsoft is taking that extra step when it comes to um, securing emails. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but don't always, you know, with that same, I I love that they're doing that, but I think sometimes what happens when companies force like 2FA to be used when you log in the accounts, just don't rely on companies to do that. Just go ahead and start doing that on your own. Absolutely, yeah. I, 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 don't shoot me because I know I said I wouldn't talk about Clubhouse, but I, I have on my profile on Clubhouse with two red sirens. It says, Clubhouse, please enable 2FA on your application. Because every time I log into something, if it doesn't allow me the option or doesn't prompt me to turn on two-factor authentication, that, that's a red flag. I'll, I might even stop, like, not go into that or, or disable my account or something like that. I mean, it's rare today you run into an application that doesn't offer two-factor authentication. Um, but my point is, is that don't rely on these companies to force you to do it. Mm-hmm. Just start getting in the habit of going after you create an account, after you, you know, sign up for a new website, new service. 
go into the settings and see if they have the two-factor option and turn it on. You know, get comfortable using the Google Authenticator app. It's your friend. Um, you know, so that's what I'll leave everybody with uh, for this week's podcast. I think that was a great point, Andre. Two-factor is uh, important. I'm glad Microsoft is forcing it. But clean up, clean, keep your own house in order first. Uh, don't let other other people, you know, kind of dictate how you handle your cybersecurity. Take it into your own hands. Set up your own two-factor on all your accounts. Be mindful when you log into, especially banking websites and anything that's sensitive to you. If, if it, you're not being prompted for two-factor, figure out why you may have trusted the device and it doesn't ask you, that's okay. Um, but make sure you at least have it turned on. Go in the settings and just see if it's turned on. If it's not, turn it on. Yeah, and, and for that business owner, that goes even a little more detail where oh, yeah. do, a, do a, a technology audit where you're, anything that any of your employees are using to log in uh, uh, that you know for an online service and you go through that list and then you know you maybe as a global setting it, you can just force it that next time the employee logs in they have to they have to do that but um, don't rely on your employees to to turn it on no yeah all right brother okay. I think today's uh, episode was awesome we talked about a lot we covered a lot um I think we shared a lot of good business advice uh around you know the cybersecurity incidents it's not you know we don't just talk tech here um and uh, if anybody on that's listening uh, learned anything today, uh, was entertained in any way by Andre and I, um, please share out this podcast on your social media to your friends. That's the only request that we ask for putting out this content uh, to you for free. Um, and if you have any questions about anything we, we said here today, we do have uh this recorded on our facebook page it's a security squawk facebook page and we also uh live stream this as well to youtube so we have a youtube channel uh if you search on google for security squawk podcast it will come up in, on youtube uh the url unfortunately is very long right now it's not uh custom yet because we don't have enough subscribers um, so maybe head over to YouTube and subscribe to our podcast channel. That would be awesome. Uh, but that's it for us. I say sayonara. Have a great week. We'll all talk to you next week. Andre. Peace good. out. Peace out. Bye everyone.